Marlon Chito Vera earned his second straight main event victory in dramatic fashion. It is Sunday, August 14th. These are the next day takeaways. Greetings and salutations, everybody. ESK, Harry Powell, here to talk to you about UFC San Diego. We are taping it fresh off the end of the event. I know I said it's August 14th, but that's when you're watching. That's when you're listening. It is still August 13th. We are just probably no more than 30 minutes removed from the conclusion of this event. And we're going to dive right in because after three rounds of pretty vintage Dominic Cruz being Dominic Cruz, Marlon Vera separated him from consciousness, gave him an Andre Arlovsky nose with a left high kick to put him face down on the canvas in his adopted hometown of San Diego to earn his fourth straight victory, to shake things up even further at the top of the bantamweight division. Good sir, it is the middle of the morning. You are an absolute warrior, an absolute champion for doing this. And I look forward to your thoughts here on this on this main event. I think Dom Cruz is the warrior, really. I think Cheeto Vera is the warrior, really. This is a rough one. This is a rough one. There's a couple of there's there's some the overall this card I think was a was a strange card. I think philosophically it showed some of the UFC's hand in that uh they are moving towards a different sphere of fight type than they maybe have before. Um, and that is probably something to, to have a discussion about at some point in the future, maybe not right now. Um, but it, the, the card ebbed and flowed. I think a lot of the prelims was fantastic. Some really, really good performances. And then the main card sort of died a bit of a death with some of the performances and some of the, the level of the performances, I think, I think is fair to say. And then, you know, we saw just some some beautiful 37-year-old Dominic Cruz doing Dominic Cruz things for then Cheeto to find the read and, and put him away. I mean, you know, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we had a slight disagreement when uh, you were you were mentioning that Cheeto, you felt Cheeto was growing in confidence and I, I disagreed. I, I felt like round one, you know, the freshest of fresh that Dom's ever going to be. He looked great. You know, lots of long, strong combinations being put together. Cheeto struggling to make reads, struggling to find the timing, struggling to find the footwork, as is such a Dom Cruz fight most of the time, right? Um, but I thought he made good adjustments in the second. However, not enough adjustments. Or Dom was making adjustments on his own adjustments, right? This is something that that Cruz talks about a lot in his commentary is is the making of reads and the implementation of those reads. And I feel like whilst his analytical brain allows him to see specific things from fighters and and uh, to talk affluently about those things, the way and the passion that he speaks about reads, it feels like that's something that's quite pivotal and quite poignant to his game. And he was making them, right? But we talk about all the time, we talk about how as fighters' gas tanks start to slip, 
as fighters start to become more overwhelmed in fights, they are, I sh- I'm not going to say the word regress, but they are chiseled down. The layers with which they bolt on, the armor with which they walk into fights with, is slowly removed, eroded away, and what's left is the primitive nature of who they are as a fighter. What was left of Dominic Cruz was the the right-hand side roll out of the pocket, right? This is something that he's thrown throughout his career, used throughout his career. Oftentimes, he does so at an angle to his sort of diagonal right behind him. That would have taken him away from the kick. The problem in this specific situation is he was if he'd attempted that, the cage would have stopped him. Uh, and Cheeto was so patient and it was so beautiful that Cheeto knew exactly where Dom was and knew exactly what was coming. That's the mark of a well-prepared fighter. And for Cheeto Vera, who we should give all of the plaudits to, he stuck in, he was patient, he had a game plan and he did not deviate from that game plan. And he waited for the perfect moment to land the shot he needed to land. And when he landed, by God, did he land. It's very tough to see Dom Cruz go out like that, but it is proof yet again that Cheeto Vera just needs one. I want to stick on the Dom part before we we sort of dive in maybe a little bit more on, on Cheeto Vera, because as you said, and as we said, as we were getting ready for this, this is this is a hard way to see. I don't want to say Dom Cruz go out because I don't know if this is the end. Um, what I do know from speaking with him on Tuesday is that it's it's still top of the food chain or else what am I doing here? And so I think this will be a, a result that makes him sit down and have a, a good long think about things. Um, certainly can't, comes away with damage. There's There's certainly plenty of good to take away from this performance, right? That's the that's the really difficult thing. And part of what we were disagreeing about in those earlier rounds, as, as you were mentioning, was that every time Cheeto would drop him and he sat him down, sat him down is sort of the, the better way of, of putting it. Because it wasn't a, it was similar to what we saw in the Amanda Nunez, Juliana Pena second fight, right? Sit him down and Dom just pops right back up and he's right back to throwing. And as the fight ended, I was in the process of putting together a tweet that says, like, what do you do with those from a scoring perspective, from a judging perspective? Because, yep, it, it rates. He sits him down, but there's Dom right back in his face. And then and then this happens, which isn't a thing that is a function of age. It isn't a thing that's a function of anything other than what you said. Well-prepared, coupled with the positioning, coupled with Marlon Vera has a whole shit ton of power. And so... I can understand if there is a decision of, well, I can't get past this guy that is at number five. And so it's time for me to move on to other things. I have other opportunities. If that is the case, you and I will get on here at some point and celebrate Dominic Cruz. But I can also see him saying, I'm up 3-0 and I got stuck against the fence. I'd really like to run that one back. I'd really like to to get another opportunity in there against somebody in that range because I am still right there. Now, we don't know how that would go. We don't know 
right? These are all variables of this sport. But it's going to be interesting to me to see what a very thoughtful, a very earnest, honest with himself, Dominic Cruz decides and comes away from this fight thinking about. I think it entirely depends on whether he's able to engage his analyst brain or whether he engages his fighter brain or his human brain, frankly. Um, The analyst will tell him that he didn't just end up on the cage. He was put there. Um, The analyst in him will see the, you know, 16 or so paces before that and that's this is not me being uh being analytical i haven't watched the fight back enough to to you know see the exact sequences that put dom on the cage but cheetah was certainly pressuring dom and pushing him backwards and then he forced the reaction for dom to roll to his right hand side this was something that was architected it may well be that this is something they've drilled in camp um, it would not surprise me with a mind like Jason Perillo that it is something that they have drilled because it's such a uh, a frequent motion in Dom's arsenal of fighting. But what we saw was an architected head kick. This was not a flash in the pan, oh, I just got caught thing. This wasn't a mid-exchange, a shot lands, I get dropped, can't recover thing. It was not that. This was a calculated setup that was seemingly predetermined. I'll be interested to see what Chito Vera says, not in the post-fight press conference, but maybe a few days later when the the adrenaline has died and he's asked about that. Uh, This was something that Dom Cruz was set up for and caught with. Now, I think you're right that this doesn't necessarily go in tandem with him being a 37-year-old. He was up 3-0, it seems. I haven't looked at judges' scorecards, but I've seen a couple of tweets. Worst worst case, it's it's 2-1. Yeah. Um, I think from some of the tweets, he was up 2-1, but regardless, he was winning that fight. And in the fourth round, he actually came out with a little bit more sprite in his step than he had in the third. So... This is a very interesting decision for Dom Cruz to make because Chito Vera hits hard, obviously. He found that out. But he'd taken a number of shots from Chito in that fight and either had not been sat down or when was sat down, popped all the way back up. He was able to engage in his wrestling. He was able to mix things up. He was able to land with uh, with significance in multiple occasions, his game plan was working. So the question I think for Dom Cruz is, do I want to be in there with some of the actual big hitters in that division? Do I think that those guys could set me up in the same way that Chito Vera set me up? Because if the answer is yes, then please Dom Cruz, allow us to celebrate you and allow yourself to walk out of this arena with your head held high and your legacy and your your brain intact. Right. I feel as though, as cerebral as he is, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but 
as cerebral as he is, he's still a fighter. And this is a man that won a title 12 years ago. This is a man that works in fighting. This is a man whose life is uh, branded by the hot irons of fighting. We have seen time and time again that it is not as simple to walk away from fighting as us on the outside believe it to right. be. And if we think that past his prologue in any way, shape or form, Dom Cruz doesn't walk away for long, even if he does walk away. Right. To swing this to Cheeto Vera, who obviously gets the victory and, and we do have to touch on going into the fight. He was a, a person that I struggled to sort of define in this upper tier of this division that we love so much that we've talked about for years now as the deepest, most competitive in the UFC or one of. At one point, I think before the preview show, I said like, I'm, I'm not sure this guy doesn't win a title because having watched back a bunch of his fights this week and prepared for this fight, there is just something about him in that resiliency that constant pressure that constant presence where he does also have that one shot ability that we saw previously against frankie edgar and he has the meanness we saw in the rob font fight where he just yep you can hit me with everything that doesn't land as forcefully and i'm going to hit you with half as many but they're going to leave you looking like a mess and when this shot landed and and we were you know, wrapping up the the watching the fights together stream to prepare for this one. I was kind of just at a loss because I, I, again, I still don't know how to quantify this guy. Because with that, that ability in your back pocket, and I don't mean it in a he can pull it out whenever he wants, because obviously it has to be set up and it's timing and it's all of those things. But it's a difference maker that not everybody has. And it makes me really curious, both for your thoughts on him, and to see what happens over these next few weeks and months as this division, the top of the division, gets sorted out. Because I a finish like that over a guy like Dominic Cruz, it's early, but he's the clubhouse leader for the next title shot to me. I don't think we learned anything different about Tito Vera and that's not me being disrespectful at, at all but going in okay we did learn something the thing that we learned and one of the questions I tweeted out just before the fight was in the Rob Font matchup we saw that he could stick to a game plan empirically and not be dissuaded whether that's through a superior understanding of how MMA is scored and understanding that damage equates uh, more points on the board than volume, if volume is without damage. Whether it was that he just thinks that his greatest route to victory is one or two shot combos landing big and hurting fighters, not sure. In the Rob Font fight, he was able to execute a game plan beautifully, gorgeously. In this, we won't know yet until the dust settles what the game plan 
was, but he certainly was patient. He certainly didn't look to be overwhelmed. He certainly didn't look to be slipping into the deep water that you can against the tide that is Dom Cruz. He certainly looked to be holding his own when the exchanges were shorter and more in his favour. He clearly landed significant strikes when he sat Dom down two or three times. I can't remember what it is, whatever. And then the artistry of the finish, however brutal and vicious, the artistry of the finish smacks to me both in real time and now however long we are away from from that finish as something that was well thought out prior and was just him in the moment seeing that everything was aligning forcing a reaction and landing the shot the variables allowed him to execute something that he'd previously determined that's a smart fighter. That's a clever fighter. So we learned that the Rob Font intelligence wasn't a one-off. We learned that the maturity of Cheeto Vera wasn't a one-off. This is something that we're going to have to take seriously. And this is a feather to his arsenal that we're going to have to allow him to keep in his quiver. However, the deficiencies of the game are still there. Dom Cruz hit him a ton of times. Dom Cruz wobbled Chito Vera once or twice. Dom Cruz was able to take Chito Vera down once of, you know, five or six takedown attempts. And Chito Vera again accepted that the bottom position was where he was going to work from. Now, again, he landed a couple of elbows from the bottom and rolled for an armbar with, you know, six seconds left or whatever it is. None of those things are going to deter Dom Cruz from going back to the well. And Chito Vera's takedown defense was fantastic on the other shots. However, if we look at the amount that he got hit tonight, I'm just going to run the names that are above Chito Vera. Right. The first one is TJ Dillashaw. If TJ Dillashaw lands 75% of the shots that Dom Cruz lands, you're going to have an incredibly tough night. Corey Sandhagen, the same. Corey Sandhagen and TJ Dillashaw are voluminous strikers with big power. We've already seen the Jose Aldo fight. Right. Piotr Jan is another monstrous striker with incredible amounts of volume. If he hits you as much as Dom Cruz hits Chito Vera, I think it's a long night. Aljamain Sterling is somebody that has big power, doesn't strike with the same amounts of volume. Obviously, his game plan, plans are slightly different. He's looking more for the grappling aspect. But am I saying that Chito Vera can't land the one shot with right. the right game plan and the right uh, execution on any of those five guys? No, of course not. He can absolutely land that shot. But we're talking about landing the perfect shot against guys who can take shots and give shots far better than Dom Cruz. So I think whilst we learnt that Chito Vera has excelled the ceiling that we thought he had, the ceiling that sits above him is still evident. I think that's actually a perfect way to sum it up. 
this is, you know, this exact finish, I don't think anybody necessarily forecasted all the way in. But Cheeto Vera getting a finish and beating Dominic Cruz wasn't difficult to forecast going in. And so still in the mix, still in the thick of things. I think it certainly elevates his profile, but it doesn't move his his status. And he now gets to spend the next couple of months just sitting and waiting to see what happens throughout the rest of the division. We move to the co-main event, which was just bonkers. Nate Landwehr gets a majority decision win over David Onama. Uh, 28-28 on one card, 29-27 on two others. This was a fight where, I said it to you while we were watching, if you have time in the third round, Nate Landwehr, to walk away from a downed fighter who is clearly exhausted, I get that this is you know, entertainment as much as it is sport, as much as it is competition, but just get him out of there. Cause David Onama to his credit got up to his feet and came after him. I said, as this fight ended, probably going to have to do a rewatch of the third round just to score it. Cause I want to see just how much of, of sort of David Onama ending up on the ground was the David Onama was exhausted versus Nate Landwehr really dominating and putting him there because it felt to me like that 28-28 was the right score. I look forward to rewatching it. Just in general, your thoughts on the madness of this fight? Yeah, fucking bonkers, right? Like absolute fucking bonkers. Uh, I don't know enough about judging to, to, you know, come into that arena and have a conversation with you all about it. In the moment, I disagreed with you about you saying Nate Landwehr shouldn't be lauding this and shouldn't be, you know, effectively pointing at the crowd like, look at this guy, he's fucked and I'm not. Even as I was saying it, I wasn't sure that I believed what I said. And the the more that the fight went on and after the fight, you know, and sort of allowing the fight to reminisce in my brain, I think I agree with you entirely that the statement isn't the conjecture. The statement isn't the embarrassment of the fighter in the moment of, uh, of weakness of the fighter. The, the embarrassment and and the the allowing of the pointing at the fighter is when they're staring up at the ceiling or after they've just tapped and the referee is waving the fight off you can then sit aloft the crowd and you can point at whatever you want because everyone's pointing at you so whilst you know one of the things we love about nate diaz for instance when he tags leon edwards is he points over to him like yeah motherfucker I got you or we love when he locks in the triangle and he's double birding the cameras like in his mind it's done and now he's going to waltz on over and just finish this fight as he said after the Leon Edwards fight if this was in the streets bro and we had 15 more minutes that fight was done sure Sure. I mean sure but, but but this is not in the streets. You Absolutely. don't have 15 more minutes. Absolutely. And instead of pointing at him, you should have finished him. Fucking finished. Nate Landwehr did a lot of work to yeah. try to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And what I said in the moment, which sort of, you know, 
made me sound like a hypocrite at the moment was <laughs> I wondered whether all of the conjecture and the drama was Nate Landwehr hiding his own fatigue. And as the fight rolled on in that third, it certainly felt like that. It felt more and more like Landwehr almost punched himself out to a point where Anama was able to build that oxygen base back up slightly to allow him to, to burst two, three, four, five more right. times and keep himself in the fight. Absolute craziness. I do think Nate Landwehr has inherited the mantle of lunatic that gets better as the fight progresses. You know, indefatigable, impossible to put, not impossible to put away. We've seen him put away. But just when he beat Darren Elkins, he took Darren Elkins' superpowers. David Onama, a guy that obviously I've been high on since he came into the UFC. I'm not abandoning ship by any stretch. This was a somewhat short notice, shortly put together fight. I think he's a 28-year-old kid that, as we talked about coming out of the last fight with Garrett Armfield and going into this fight on the preview, has stuff that he has to figure out. There were good moments of it in the first. He's still a work in progress. This needs to be a learning opportunity. This needs to be a growth moment. I would really like to see him take at least four months, but more like seven or eight, and just be in the gym. Just learn. Just work. I mean, first things first, he needs to recover from the damage he Absolutely. took. Absolutely. Certainly. Like, and this is where I'm going to agree with you. I'd ask him to take two months off just to recover from any any of the damage that's come. You may even need longer. There was significant damage landed in that fight right. not just is it you know when fighters are taking shots and this is something you mentioned in the dom cruise fight and there's a lot of parallels actually between this fight and the dom cruise fight one of the things you mentioned was that dom cruise has such a beautiful way of rolling with punches rolling away from punches not only does that take away some of the actual damage and actual sting to those punches but because of the way that dom cruise moves he's always moving in such a herky-jerky unorthodox positioning that it makes shots look like they're not even landing and it's actually just dom moving right david Onama, when you're that fatigued there's no such thing as head movement. There's no <laughs> right. such thing as rolling with punches. You're just taking those shots and your brain is battering about in your head, that dehydrated brain that you sucked all the water out of less than 48 hours earlier. That's something to take extremely seriously. Agreed. I would we spoke about this in the first round that he looked like he'd gone away and coaches and you know, friends and fighters and teammates had told him dude you're actually really long and you could fight right. like that and we saw that Landwehr in the first round looked like he had no idea what he'd done what he'd gotten into Anama is going to take some other lessons away from this mostly about taking that 25% off I know we almost say it every week right but Trevor Whitman should have that on his fucking tombstone because that piece of golden information yeah. is clearly not sinking into enough fires craniums 
But Anama goes out there and throws 110% on every single shot and then realizes that Nate Landwehr is not going anywhere. Then we're in this we're in this erosive tide of finding out who you really are as a primitive fighter. And the answer is the I get hit a lot and I try to do the wrestling. And actually, I think I'm a, a kangaroo with tiny arms and a massive body, right? And it turns out he's not that. So is this something that can can be looked at and foundationally change the structure? of his game yeah of course it is you know he's 28 he's only 12 fights into his career is it going to be something that changes uh, i mean that's the question right that is the question we shall see debuting strawweights yasmin herwagwi and yasmin lucindo put on a really entertaining fight a really fun enjoyable 15 minute affair 3027, 2928, 2928 for Hurwagwi. I'm butchering the name. My apologies. I'll improve my Spanish as we go. I wanted to see this fight for exactly the reasons that it played out. They are both relatively young. They are both relatively inexperienced. New additions to a division that can always use more bodies, more prospects. I like looking at people long term. I think we got a couple interesting people to just keep tabs on. Going forward, your thoughts, sir? I'm not going to be as disrespectful as to even begin to try to announce this lady's pronounce this lady's name. So I'm going to call uh, Mexican Yasmin and uh, and Lucinda. versus Brazilian. Yeah, good. Right, good delineation. So I mean, uh, this fight was bonkers, right? <laughs> this fight was two ladies agreeing to exchange in the pocket and just asking the question of what wins fights straight shots or hooks <laughs> right and and this was an argument a debate a free flowing you know fucking state of the ufc address if you will of mexican yasmin throwing straight shots and a ton of them having the better footwork having the better circling off and in some fashion finding better angles against Brazilian Yasmin, who has an air of the Jessica Andrade about her in that she's domineering and she wants to be extremely dominant and physical and she wants to be the bully in there. She's happy to take those straight shots if she can, you know, walk like a barrel-chested monster and slam it's almost as if she's trying to king kong smash her own chest but instead right. it just happens and there to... just happens to be someone in between right mid-fight i i made the um i made the comparison which i don't think is super you know super clear but i'll say it anyway if nothing more than for the memes it feels like lucindo is the very small very young brazilian justin gaethje before he had his eye surgery he would speak all the time about if someone just jabs me i know they're in front of me and i can then throw shots and i'll find them that way and that's kind of what it felt like the right. footwork wasn't intelligent she just plodded on forward and was happy to take some jabs because she believes in her power as you say two interesting additions let's see what happens yeah, Mexican Yasmin is 23. She's undefeated. She moves forward with a victory. There's no rush. There's no need to rocket, you know, strap a rocket to her back. 
Let's just let her have some fights and see what happens. Brazilian Yasmin, same deal. She's 20 years old. This was her 18th fight. There's clearly some raw materials to work with, but they are raw. Let's give it time. Let's just see where it gets to. Light heavyweights, Azamat Mirzakhanov defeats Devin Clark. Third round stoppage. We're not spending any time on it. Mostly one-way traffic. Devin Clark doesn't do a lot. Gets finished. Away we go. Women's bantamweight, Priscilla Cashuera goes out and stops Ariane Lipsky in 65 seconds. For all the flaws that she has, for the missing weights, for the eye gouging, for the, you know, different issues that Cashuera has presented over the years, I tell you what, you don't ever come away from one of her fights thinking that was boring. She goes out there, and you said it best on our stream, she is she is accepting of the chaos, of the violence, of the let's just do this thing. And against Ariane Lipsky, she did the damn thing. Partly, I want to write about Cachoeira for the spotlight, not <laughs> because it was the most cerebral, technical, blowout performance, but this was something that, I think it is one of the intangibles that she has is something that I think is important to highlight. And that's when she fights, this isn't a sporting occasion for her. This isn't two athletes that have trained for a significant amount of time and have built a significant skill set. And it's one skill set and one game plan versus one skill set and one game plan. This is a fight. And this is, the way that the way that Priscilla Cachoeira fights is exactly that. She is vocalizing that she will not be pushed back. She will not take a shot to land a shot. She is going to keep coming forward and she is going to be in your face and she's going to be as vicious as possible until you stop moving. Here, she did exactly that. Ariane Lipsky seemed to come in with the mindset of game plan versus game plan. Right. Athlete versus athlete. And in this 135 pan division, somebody like Cachoeira is a very interesting anomaly. She is somebody that finishes fights and finishes fights with strikes. And she's somebody that does so in a very vicious, very ferocious fashion. Does she go all the way and win a title? Probably not. But is she going to be one of those people who stands aloft those rankings as the litmus test to, if you beat me, you get the pleasure of losing to Valentina Shevchenko? Probably. Yeah, I don't know that it necessarily even gets that far, but she is four and one in her last five fights. She does have, as you say, power that isn't necessarily readily available in this division and that mindset of exactly what you said. I'm going to make this a fight and you are going to feel me for every minute until you make me go backwards or put me on the canvas. I'm not accepting anything. I'm just coming. And it was an impressive finish. Also an impressive finish, Gerald Mearshart submits Bruno Silva in the third round, about 99 seconds into the third. It was a 
a GM3 finish. Nice left hand. Go down to the ground, see if he can throw some punches. That's not there, but oh, here's your neck. Great. Done. See you later. You wanted to touch on it briefly before we get to the prelims. Yeah, Bruno Silva looked horrendous. Yeah. Really horrendous. Um, you know, something Shawnee has always told me is call it exactly how you see it and then face the consequences of what your opinion is. I thought Bruno Silva was absolutely awful. You don't, the duality of going out and surviving three rounds with <laughs> Alex Perea, who in all intents and purposes is a fantastic striker, a dominant striker, a powerful striker. And Bruno Silva, whilst always being a step behind, didn't get blown out of the water and didn't look entirely out of place in that fight. He landed his shots. He landed with some success in that fight and looks like an MMA fighter. In this one, it looked like there was a fly that was really pissing him off when he was sat on the sofa and there was just gargantuan swings looking the wrong way and just not being engaged in any way, shape or form. It also felt to me as though he never wanted to grab hold of the fight. Gerald Mershaw is not a speedy guy. He's not an athletic right. guy. He's not an agile man. If you allow Mershaw to fight at the pace with which he wants to fight, and that pace slowly, slowly increases as he becomes more confident in the striking, you're going to get run over. And at no point did Bruno Silva think, actually, if I just put three punches together, he'll move backwards. And if I do it then again, he might be a little bit more deterred and the more that i do it the more he's going to be deterred there were moments in that fight when silver landed in the pocket exchanges and Mer it felt like mershot expected himself to fall over and then when right. he didn't he was like oh oh i'm still here okay cool i'll now go and hit him again right right that's not a fighter you should be losing to lads right and the finish itself, I'll just touch on and I'll throw it back. He used what's called a Buddha variation for the guillotine. So it's not quite a high elbow guillotine and it's not a guillotine in the sense that you're, the, the fat of your securing hand is, is grabbing the fat of the choking hand and then you're, you know, you're closing off the, the choke. It's in such as it's the opposite. So the choking hand is up next to the carthroid artery, but mostly across the, the, uh, the Adam's apple and you're connecting the fat of your hand to the bottom of your hand, almost like you're, you're sitting like a Buddha praying, right? But you're, you're not. Um, and the reason it's called the Buddha in MMA is because it's a, it's a, a generally a, a ball of a fist with the glove, which makes it harder to strip. And then you're grabbing the ball of your fist to support the choke. Um, and it's just, it's just not often that you see a Buddha choke. The last time we saw it was uh, Brandon Royville versus Matt Schnell, I believe. Um, just a just a really nice variation of the finish it's really hard to get fingers into that configuration and start to strip it um yeah just just really nice finish but i mean look if jared mershaw gets hold of your neck you're probably done right yeah i mean this is i said going into it in one question that i wanted to see who sticks around as sort of the veteran finisher well outside of the top 15 that faces the emerging guy or the veteran that needs a rebound it's Gerald Merchardt. He's he's the guy that gets to stay in that position. He won that battle tonight. He goes forward. Bruno Silva, as you said, looked terrible, was headhunting. Back to the drawing board. To the prelims we go. Catchweight fight. Angela Hill gets a unanimous decision win over Lupe Godinez. This was a really entertaining fight. It was a really enjoyable fight. I think our shared takeaway was that this 
you know, win or lose, before we even heard the decision, we both agreed, win or lose, this is a great learning moment for Luby Godinez. That's not to take anything away and, and divert from Angela Hill, who gets a good win, who comes out on the favorable side of the scorecards, unanimous decision as opposed to a split decision where she's usually had some, some tough times. But this was Loopy's first fight against a ranked opponent, against a real seasoned veteran. There were some good moments. There were some not so good moments. There was a lot to learn. And I think at the end of the day, this becomes a net positive for the Mexican Canadian. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she's so young in her career, right? What is it? Eight and three she is now. So what's that? Let me do maths at four. It's 11 fights, right? Like that's that's a, a baby, a baby yeah. in your MMA career, right? You're just now beginning to figure out who you want to be as a fighter, let alone who you are as a fighter at 11 fights deep. Um, and it felt like that, right? Yeah. Fighting against Angela Hill is a tough out. It's always a tough out. She's notoriously difficult to finish. She is notoriously gritty, notoriously tough, and notoriously in close fights. You're not in close fights because you get blown away. You're right. always in close right. fights because you make adjustments and you find a way to make it close. And that's what Hill does best. And what we learned today is that Lupe Godinez is just not quite there for the Angela Hill test yet. She's not right. quite there to be able to win the unanimous decision, win the split decision, or in the inevitable, uh, sorry, in the inconceivable, get Angela Hill out of there, right? What we saw in the first round, however, is how well she is able to mix up her game. You said this was short notice and it felt a little bit like that, yeah. where the first round is fire and then the preceding rounds are embers of fire. Her athleticism on takedowns was gorgeous. Some of the ways she was dipping her head into the overhand right was really nice. The countering was great. She made Angela Hill look stiff and slow and a bit awkward in the striking in the first round. And then Angela Hill came out and said, that's cool. Can you do it in the second round? Right. Whoopi said, mm, if you slow down a little. Right. And she said, okay, I'm going to change gear to number three now. And now I'm going to win. And that's what we saw. What this shows, Lupe Godinez, and maybe you can say if you agree or not, is that's the level. Yeah. Right? And maybe that's the level that you need to be mentally engaged and your cardio needs to maybe step up a couple of levels or whether you just need to know, need to be able to conserve your energy in round one and not just go to gear four immediately and then think you can go to gear two and that'll be enough. Because as you progress through division, and this is something Sean has talked about significantly, is repeatedly, sorry, it's five past four for me in the morning, is, uh, is that when skills are even, the toughest person is going to win. And as you climb through the echelon of any division, maybe not middleweight, the tougher the people are going to get just by nature. If your skills don't equate to toughness, toughness alone will be the undoing of you. So I think one of the biggest takeaways for me from this for Lupi Godinez, and it actually goes back to even last year in her rookie campaign, is while I admire the willingness to say yes 
regardless of the assignment, regardless of the timing, you maybe can't say yes to all of them because two of the three losses are short notice fights. Now, again, not taking anything away from Angela Hill, but are you a different fighter if this is done on an eight-week camp and you get notice of it nine weeks out versus they called two weeks ago and said, hey, we need a fight for San Diego. Angela Hill lives there. Do you want to fight her at, let's say, 120? Yeah, sure. You maybe should have said no. That's what some of this is. And that's that's another one of those, you're a baby in the game lessons. You don't necessarily feel you have the clout to say no. You're not from a team that has a track record and a relationship with the UFC that you can say, nah, we did you these favors before. Now, Lupe Gadines has done them favors before and volunteered to do favors before, but you can't always do the favors because as you said, this we this showed you the level you need to be at. You weren't there tonight. You weren't there Saturday night. I think she can get there, but you have to be smart about it. It takes crafting. It takes effort and smarts and preparation. And you can't just be diving into fights all the time, especially not at this level as you're trying to go forward. Heavyweights Martin Gudai and Lukash Breschke fought. They fought to a split decision. Martin Gudai won, and we're moving on. Nina Nunez gets a split decision win over Cynthia Calvillo. She then announces her retirement, says, I want to have more babies. I want to do some coaching. I've done all I can do. This has been grand. See you later. I think Nina Nunez, and I said this afterwards on Twitter, made the absolute most of her time in the octagon. There's nothing that jumps off the page about you or about her in terms of athleticism or skill or talent or one particular thing. But she cobbled it all together with some toughness and some moxie and some grit, and a little bit of sandpaper and got to be a top five fighter at strawweight at one point. She went and had the baby, came back, goes out on a high note on her own terms. This is... This is pretty close to the ideal for a fighter of this, her level, of her number of years, ends up 11 and 7 or 12 and 8 or something like that in her career. Like, this was a good run, and I wish Nina Nunez well. I think she's going to be a good coach. She clearly looks like she's a good mom and enjoys it. Couldn't be happier for her. I look forward to our next one. (laughs) Ever the cynic. You also had some thoughts on Cynthia Calvillo, who, as we watched it, we both just kind of went like, there's just nothing else. It's, it's, I'm going to try the things that I, I know to try. And when they're not here, I don't know what to do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, she was unfortunate in the era of MMA that she arrived into. She was unfortunate that there wasn't an atomweight division. or it, So she was unfortunate yeah. she wasn't able to make straw weight consistently. She was unfortunate. Yep. However, if the stature, the size, and the fighting style just don't pertain to the, to the mentality that she takes into the cage, right? She is a fighter that wants to get inside and she wants to land dirty boxing and she wants to get to hips. She wants to take people down and she wants to put them on the floor and submit them. 
in order to do that in some fights, you're going to need to walk through the fire to get to where you want to be. And she doesn't look like a fighter that wants to walk through the fire. Maybe that's after the Jessica Andrade beatdown. And look, nobody can blame you. But in the same vein, that's the game. And if you're not willing to play the game, you shouldn't play the game. Yeah, we saw it in the Andrea Lee fight, right? The corner had to stop it, not sending her back out there. I think if this is maybe anyone other than a committed to retiring Nina Nunes, who seemed to just be happy to be out there and be in a bit of a in a bit of a you know up tempo str- sparring match, it might be it might be different. This is four straight losses. We'll see what happens. But best wishes to Nina Nunes going forward. Lightweight fight Gabriel Benitez gets Charlie Ontiveros out of there in the first round. I tweeted it out. This is this is always how it was going to go. Charlie Ontiveros has shown in his previous two fights that he does not have the skills or the chin or the durability to compete at this level. And Mowgli Benitez made sure to make that abundantly clear, getting him out of there in the first round. Flyweight fight Tyson Nam. Gets Ode Osborne out of there on the first round. The takeaway from that one, you've said it as we were watching with Ian as well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why you don't throw naked jumping knees, especially against big power hitting Hawaiians. Nice to see Tyson Nam get back in the win column and get his first official flyweight win in the UFC. Other wins were at bantamweight. So we'll see We'll see if he adds some, some new spice to the 125-pound division. Touch on Josh Quinlan very quickly because he separated Jason Witt from his consciousness with just an absolute ferocious left hand and then holstered the follow-up Dan Henderson forearm smash. You were impressed. You were a little bit ahead of me on your stream as we were watching this one. And I got to do the like, okay, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Oh boy, geez, that is certainly, you liked what you saw. Tell me why. The Shadow Realm has a new king. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, <laughs> like we knew that Josh Quinlan had picograms of power, but good Lord, did he put Jason Witt away. Like this, just the beauty of the setup too, right? Like yeah. he, he took just a half step outside the pocket. Jason Witt, wants to land a right hand body kick he knows the right hand's gonna miss so he just waits for whatever the next shot is because whatever the next shot is doesn't matter because that yeah. left hand is coming and he even has the ability to block the, the the left kick to the body with his forearm as he just absolutely murks jason witt with that left hook as we've said fair play to him for the for not landing the follow-up shot that's really, really respectful behavior. Yeah. Um, Hard to do. Difficult yeah, to do in that moment. 100%. To have the ability to control the adrenaline, to see as, you, as you're going to land the shot, this is naturally what you've been coached, right? A fighter goes down, you just follow them and you just until keep Until that referee stops you, until you feel those hands, you go. Right. And he noticed that Jason Witt's eyes had rolled back and he pulls it and rolls to his hip and allows him, you know, allows yeah. Jason Witt to not take any more damage. Really yeah. respectful behavior. So I'm excited to see him back in there. That's for sure. 
Yeah, we said on the preview show on Thursday for Severe MMA, he's going to be dogged by by the positive test coming out of Dana White's contender series. He's going to have to answer for it time and again. This was the first step of validating that the 5-0, and now 6-0 and with all finishes is because of power and skill and technique and all of those things and not just whatever was coursing through your body. He's still going to have to answer that every single fight. Every fight is going to be a referendum on that until we get far enough away from it that we don't have to continue to talk about it. But this was a hell of a way to start changing the narrative around your around your UFC career. The opener on the night, bantamweight Yusef Zalal and Damone Blackshear battled to a majority draw. 29-28 was one score for Blackshear. 28-28 are the other two. I thought it was the correct decision. I thought Blackshear did enough in the first and second to win those rounds. And then Yusuf Zalal in really quality combination of corner advice and fighter listening to corner advice goes back after the second round. And Mark Montoya, the head coach of Factory X, says, look, He's a better grappler than you. So let's stop grappling. Let's just fight him. Let's just hit him. And Yusuf Zalal says, yes, sir. And he goes out there and he just hits him. And he hit him a lot. And then he kept hitting him some more. And he beat the hell out of him for the final five minutes to get that 10-8, to get that draw. I think both still have a world of upside in this division. This was short notice for Damone Blackshear, who replaced Christian Quinones. This was the first fight back after a long layoff. And I believe down a division, this is now a new home for Yusuf Zalala Bantamweight. A good fun fight to start the night. Good judging. Got us underway the right way. You're a Yusuf Zalal fan. You were impressed with some of Blackshear. General thoughts before I let you go to bed. I can't really remember what happened. <laughs> Fair. Seven many, hours. many hours ago. Um but I do remember that Blackshear, my critique of Blackshear was that he felt like he was looking too much for the jiu-jitsu stuff right. rather than the MMA stuff. And the, what I mean by that is I think he got taken down. Ah, yes, I remember. I have my notes in front of he me. He had an X-guard sweep in there. There was... Right, he's going heel hooks. He was using, trying to use butterflies instead of hip heisting back to his feet and just fighting off the single leg. You know, all of the stuff that you would do if you were just rolling at the gym is fine, but in MMA, it is not fine because the bottom position is just not where you want to be in any way, shape, or form. But I was impressed with Blackshear's ability to find the back. I was impressed with his ability to negate some of the finishes that Zalal had when he had his back. He looked fine on the feet. Um, obviously, the cardio stuff is something that's going to have to be worked right. on. You don't want to lose a 10-8 round in your debut. But I also understand that it was that it was short notice and whatever. Um, before we go because the California State Athletic Commission is somebody that makes fighters uh, pay public, they have released the pay packets. And I just want to run through these because if anyone manages to make it here at 55 minutes, I just want you to think about what you saw last night and then think about what these fighters are taking home. 
this is pre-tax in whatever state they're in, but I think they have to pay tax, the California tax. This is before they give any money to coaches. This is before they give money to any training partners they may have brought in. This is before they give money to anything. Yusuf Zalal takes home $24,000 for a draw with Demon Blackshear. Demon Blackshear takes home $12,000 for his draw with Yusuf Salal. Josh Quinlan takes home $20,000. That means he's on a 10 and 10. Jason Witt takes home $23,000 for his loss to Josh Quinlan. Tyson Nam takes home $50,000, 25 and 25. Ode Osborne takes home $28,000. Gabriel Benitez takes home $100,000 on 50 and 50. Charlie Ontiveros takes home $12,000. Nina Nunez takes home $80,000, 40 and 40. Cynthia Calvillo takes home $70,000. Martin Baudet takes home $24,000. He's on 12 and 12. Lucas Breschke takes home 10K. 10K. Angela Hill takes home $195,000. 95k for win bonus whether that's her actual pay packet or whether that's you're taking a fight on five days notice here's a little bump up who knows lupe godinez takes home forty five thousand dollars. gerald mershart 140k 70 and 70 bruno silva 40k priscilla cachoeira 80k 40 and 40 ariana lipsky 40k azamat mazakarnov 24 grand. Your man's on 12 and 12. Devin Clark takes home 75K. Mexican Yasmin takes home 50K, 25 and 25. Brazilian Yasmin takes home 12K, 12 and 12. Nate Landwehr takes home 60K. That dude's on 30 and 30. David Onama takes home 24K for his performance. Marlon Vera takes home 300K only. 150 and 150 for being the top 10 fighter in the craziest division, in the most elite sporting bracket for MMA. Dominic Cruz, the trendsetter. Dominic Cruz, the champion in 2010. Dominic Cruz, the pioneer of lighter weight MMA takes home $175,000 only. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your next day's takeaways. In addition to that, I want to shout out John Nash, who writes at Bloody Elbow, tweets from the handle at HeyNotTheFace. He tweeted out at some point today or maybe yesterday, like, judging by all of the comments, anytime I mentioned fight or pay, Clearly, my my mission over the last decade to educate people on this thing isn't working. And I want to say, as somebody who, you know, is often looked at as, ah, he's going to be on the side of the UFC. John, your mission is working. Ignore the bootlickers. Ignore the trolls. Ignore the people that want to say, I would do it for free. Fuck all of them. Continue on your mission. You are fighting a good fight. We all agree. Everybody that understands agrees that these men and women deserve to be, nay, need to be 
paid far more money than they are for what they are putting their bodies through for what it takes to compete at this level for being professional athletes at the highest level of their given sport and for what the company is worth and bringing in with every new deal that they sign. It's a reality that unfortunately isn't going to change until there are major changes that happen. But that doesn't mean that there should ever be a point where we stop talking about it, where we stop addressing it, where we stop pushing for it and wanting it. Because if you spent your Saturday night watching these men and women, or your Saturday, in my case, afternoon and early evening, Harry's case, night and early morning, watching these fighters compete, you should want them to make as much money as humanly possible and as much as they deserve, if not 10 times more. We'll leave it at that for today. It is the middle of the morning. I want Harry to go get some sleep. I appreciate him staying up and doing this fresh off the show. It's been two really good events back to back. We've had a whole bunch of finishes. It's been really exciting. We move into a pay-per-view next week in Salt Lake City, UFC 278, Kamaru Usman, Leon Edwards, a bunch of other good fights. We will talk about them throughout the week here on Keyboard Kimura. We will preview them Thursday on the Severe MMA podcast. You can check out all of Harry's work at BJJ underscore Harry Powell. Follow me. See everything I'm doing at Spencer Kite. Enjoy your Sunday. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your friends and family. Check on people that you love. Know that you are loved. And be good to one another. We'll see you next week.